When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, July 20, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington. It's TG Tuesday once again, or maybe I should say BTFD Tuesday. Here's what we're looking at. First, right off the bat, U.S. equity markets, big rebound from yesterday. Let's take a look here. Looks like the S&P is up about 1.5% on the day, up 64 points uh, to settle at 4,323. If you look at the major U.S. equity indices, it's all green across the board. The only red thing I see on my screen right now is the VIX down 19.87 below 20. And the big mover on the day, Russell 2000 closing at 2,205. That's up 3.49%, nearly 3.5%, about 75 points on the day. Meanwhile, the bond markets, not a whole lot of action there. Um, on the open, yield dipped a little bit, prices rallied, then yields rebound maybe about one basis point uh, from uh, yesterday at 4 p.m. Uh, at about 1.21. Finally, NASDAQ is partnering with a group of banks, including Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, to spin out pre-IPO shares. It's an interesting story. All that and more to talk to today with Tony Greer. Tony, welcome back. It's so good to have you back on the show. Ah, oh, Slash, it's great to be back on our regular schedule, isn't it? It was nice to be missed, but most importantly, it's nice to be back in action. Yes, indeed, you were missed. Unforeseen scheduling issue but you're back and you're going to be back going forward. Absolutely. That's what's important here. So let's press on into the markets, eh? Let's hit it. Tony, what are you looking at? How are you thinking about this? How are you thinking about yesterday's sell-off? How are you thinking about today's rebound? What are the major themes and what are you looking at right now? Well, I think we got to get right back into market. Uh, we have to get back into everything is navigable so far. Right. We are right into playbook trading in the S&P, which is a position that we've been in before. Um, you know, it's been a different circumstance, but the same playbook playing out. All right. So what I see so far is we had. A I think we're having some technical difficulties right now with Tony's video. Uh, let's stand by and see if we can get uh, them resolved. Oh, did we? What happened? <laughs> I think you uh, you froze up there for a minute, Tony. Uh, are we back? I think we're back. Okay. I'll start over again, Ash. I'm sorry about that. I'll try to go slow and not move my hands because sometimes that gets our uh, reception slowed down. So if I can call it, I think that we are in playbook trading, okay? We saw a super steep slide in the S&P yesterday, um, very much on a um, inflation headline, right? So last week we got inflationary headlines on the tape. Uh, 
right? We got CPI at five and a half percent. We got PPI at seven and a half percent. What was crazy to everybody coming out of last week was that bond yields just continued to fall, right? So we're seeing a situation where we're getting headline inflation and bond yields are continuing to fall from 1.6 to a low of about 1.15%. Really difficult to hold on to the inflation trade when bonds are rallying that sharply. So what we've got is a repricing of the S&P, a typical large magnitude slide, another typical three days in the red, culminating in a big minus 2000 negative extreme on the tick index, which shows that everybody on the NYSE is hitting bids at once. And so it's not surprising to me that we see an immediate respite the following day. Right, Ash, I right. sent you that chart of the S&P when we were having our market conversation earlier. And as you can see, you know, I don't know if we can maybe show it uh, to the crowd at some point later, but you know, there is an obvious um, pattern developing that looks exactly like it did on May 11th. Now, if we go back to what happened on May 11th or thereabouts, we had the S&P sailing away above all major moving averages toward a new high price of 4,000. And then we had the headline data hit the tape and the S&P suffered a dramatic sell-off right to the 50-day, extreme tick indexes on both days. And that's exactly what we saw yesterday. So. With this rebound today, I think that it's a little bit of getting the band back together, quite honestly. And I would not be shocked if the low extreme of this move was in the rearview mirror and the stocks get back on their feet again, quite honestly. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to watch things, Ash. Um, you know, like the the performance panning out and how leadership on the year through this bout of selling that we've just seen, nothing has really changed. Right. If I go to see where we are on the year, we've still got retail in the lead up 46 percent, XOP right behind it up 37 percent, XLE behind that, financials behind that, industrials, metals and mining all up over 20 percent on the year. If you look at today's rotation right over my shoulder, we've got retail, industrial metals and mining, financials, XOP. And then you throw in XLI and XHB because of the housing data that we got today. Those are all up 2% to 3% today. That really looks like a clear overlay of what the performance on the year has looked like. So if you ask me, the market is morphing back already into a bull market phase, even though we took on this selling water yesterday. But it seems like another navigable event where we're going to have one sector after the other get back on its feet and kind of pass the baton from day to day. So it's hard for me to get bearish when you have a red to green day in the Russell like we had today, which should be, you know, and, and if, if it checks another box, I'd be shocked. But it seems like that is another box to check where this is the culmination of the down move, where we finally got a red to green day in the Russell. Because if you remember, the Russell was leading the way on the way down since yeah. the OF FOMC small stocks were getting absolutely annihilated. Yeah. And so it looks like we've got a culmination of this. Russell coming back, S&P back on its feet. What are you thinking, man? Does that sound like we've got a good beat on the markets? Boy, that's really well said. First of all, let me just say, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to display the charts here, but I'm tweeting them out on Twitter, uh, at oh, Ash cool. Bennington. And it's, of course, under the Real Vision uh, hashtag as well. A Real Vision handle, I should say, on Twitter, where it's being retweeted. 
Boy, so much there that you said that was so great. I remember reading uh, some pieces, uh, you know, these think pieces on Twitter that the small cap trade was over. Clearly not the case. Getting heavily bid here today on the rebound. Uh, talking of getting the band back together, it's great to have you here. It's great to have these conversations with you. And to jump to something that you said right at the outset, uh, you were talking about headline inflation data clearly hitting the tape repeatedly. Uh, PPI hot, CPI hot, retail sales hot, hot, hot everything hot across the board, a little bit of a rollover in the consumer sentiment index. But nonetheless, what's happening in yields? This seems paradoxical. What's going on in the bond market? How do you think about that big picture? Oh, man, you know, Ash, this is a great, great, great example of why I use the bond market as a speedometer for my equity trading and not as a trading vehicle itself, because I would have already gotten blown up thinking that yields would stop backing off somewhere around 1.4% or 1.3% or, or maybe at one and a half even. And we've cratered to 1.15 in the 10 year. We've seen all of the curves that were rallying and expanding, widening, I should say, during the rally. All of those have curled over. We're seeing the five-year break-even that was treading higher during the rally face some technical headwinds and stop rallying. So the bond market is saying something dramatically different than the data, right? And that you know you, we we just we just went over. We just saw CPI at five and a half percent year over year and PPI at seven percent year over year, and the bond market still rallying into that. So to me. That is an example of sort of, I think, how offsides the bond market has been in, in, in reality. You know, there was probably a much bigger bond short out there expecting this inflation. Because think about what we've been conditioned for for the last, you know, three to six months, Ash. You know, we uh, it, it was only June 1st when we had the Barron's cover. That was the everything shortage, if you remember, right? And if we were trading bonds off of the inflation trade and we saw that Barron's cover, we could realize that that was probably the high that we saw in yields and yields never tick higher from there. Right. So it was really interesting to know that. I mean, that was just a great lesson in psychology. Commodity markets were inflating. We were getting headline data. We got a Barron's cover that said there's an everything shortage. Yet nobody could sell anything because markets were still going up into that phenomenon, even though it was so baked into everybody's calculation. Right. So what happened is, you know, the bull market continues as a little bit of a facade for a couple of days. And then, you know, you find one data point and it gives up the ghost and breaks back down into support. So I think the fact that this trade is becoming much more telegraphed than it was, say, six months ago. You know, that people are getting more involved in the oil trade and more involved in the industrial metals trade. Um, we clearly just dismantled everybody in the gold trade after the last FOMC meeting. So, you know, there are some dangerous, dangerous cracks in the inflation trade. And, you know, now we're at a point where positioning has become positioning and sentiment have become sort of the number one and number two priorities on the radar. Right. If we're all going to be trading this market that we think is probably inflationary due to our pivot to the green economy, due to our cyclical recovery out of the covid lockdown, you know, everybody anticipating inflation, the commodity markets are still saying inflation is coming. You know, it's just going to be a little bit of a nonlinear path to get there. And so I think that this shakes out a, a lot of longs out of the way. I've already heard some reports on, you know, 
sell side shops pivoting and calling for a lot of deflation ahead this year. And so I think that they're getting way ahead of the game. I think the bonds yield, you know, bond yields at 115, even though I'm not the bond vigilante, that sounds like that's getting way ahead of the deflationary game. And we'll see how this pans out. We'll see if this is a bottoming process in both the bond uh, bond yields and in the S&P. So that's what it looks like to me. And that's how I'm kind of kind of traded. Ash, I still think that we are in a navigable bull market in the S&P. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, you know, Tony, the question that I have for you is we hear this talk inflation, deflation. You talk about these uh, almost separate realities out there. You've got the bond market, you've got the data. You've got what the equity markets are telling us, at least here in the U.S., uh, got commodity prices. How do you balance that all out in your head? Well, it gets really difficult when the bond market sends one signal and the Bloomberg you know, tape sends you another. Right. So I'll tell you, that gets more difficult. Um, what you do to prove to um, battle that is, you know, for my readers, you know, we, we, we were kind of pretty long going into this S&P rally. And what we do is we tighten our stops up and our sell levels right up close to the market. And we don't tolerate a lot of pullbacks in the S&P before we make a sale. We go ahead and make a sale when we know we're in a crowded market. Um, you know, luckily, I was able to get out of the way of industrial metals and mining early and a little bit out of the way of oil early. And uh, from there, it just feels like, you know, I, now I feel like everybody's cleared out of all the long positions. Yeah. And we've got a chance to and we've got a chance to rally again so while it got confusing i think that the market's going to get back on its feet here sorry i thought i just lost you for a second there no no you're there maybe it was the no hands moving thing that's uh, that uh, made it work it's like you're doing uh, irish line dancing you're perfectly still from the waist up i've literally got myself handcuffed to this chair so that my hands don't stop the uh you know stop the, the camera from ca from capturing everything so let's try to keep going man <laughs> Listen, Tony, not surprising here. Questions are lighting up. Uh, people want to hear from you, want to hear your views. Uh, first one comes to us talking about commodities. This one comes to us uh, from Hugh Meyer, regular viewer uh, here on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. TG, is there a level on WTI, if breached and closes below, that you would have you concerned? We should probably say uh, WTI looks like 67 spot 42. Uh, it is continued to roll over here today despite the rally, at least on the screen I'm looking at right now. Well, um, I, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to say I'm not going to address one level or one price point to the WTI rally because there's so many components to it. You know, we're seeing tremendous. We're still seeing tremendous de demand from India and China. We're still seeing um, inventories going toward the lower end of the five year range. Um, so I'm, I'm going to really stay with this crude oil bull move until the spreads start showing me that they're coming out of backwardation and heading back toward contango. And to me, it looks like spreads got way ahead of themselves, that we accumulated a lot of length once again in the front month of WTI, which seems like a natural thing to happen when we're in a backward-dated market and the cost of carry is positive. Um, so we got a little bit over position there, and now we're seeing the sell-off. But as long as spreads hold into their uptrend and remain in backwardation, that's how long I'm going to be playing crude from the long side. It'll probably be either very long or just a little bit long, but I'm still a crude oil bull. 
Yeah, give us a little bit more context on how you think about the forward markets versus spot on this. Uh, you mentioned backwardation. How do you see that playing out and, and what are the drivers there? Yeah, well, the backwardation is the function of the front month commodity being priced higher than the consecutive months going down the curve. That um, takes place when the commodity markets tighten and consumers save their consumption for the last minute, right? They are waiting to see if WTI backs off. They wait for the last minute to see if they don't have to pay the most expensive price, but invariably that's what the curve has them doing. So you've got in a curve that is backwardated with the front months more expensive than the back months. And when you're along that commodity, as you roll out the curve time-wise, you're rolling to a cheaper price, therefore picking up carry and having a positive carry in that market. So that makes it much easier to stay long. And what happens is it gets very crowded. We get the one you know bubble pop and everybody has to exit their front month spreads or front month trade, if that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, here's an interesting question that comes to us uh, from uh, Phil Treese. Uh, estimates are for Social Security adjustments on January 1 will be 5% plus. Will this impact inflation narratives and expectations? Social Security adjustments to be announced in October. Phil, you're following this one closer than I am. Uh, Tony, any thoughts on Social Security adjustment? Uh, no, that's not my business. I'm, I'm a trader. I don't really look at stuff like that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, this is one from Prius Omega. Uh, this is uh, one of our regular viewers here on uh, the Daily Briefing as well. Uh, Gold, tell us a little bit about, let me simplify the question. Uh, the question is, what, what do you make of uh, gold versus gold miner performance uh, during this bond rally? Prius Omega says it just looks perplexing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, another another positioning issue um, that the Federal Reserve was able to sort of uh, pop the bubble in, if you ask me, with the dollar rally and the bond yields coming off. So we had everybody piling into gold because we had, um, you know, inflation signals all over the markets. We had the Federal Reserve. It looked to me like take it a little bit personally that the world was coming after his inflation is transitory theory. Um, and then we have. Um, the situation where everybody's piled into the gold stocks because it seems like a great liquid option. And as it turns out, when everybody's in the same boat, it's not. And so I have basically taken gold off of my radar screen. If the Federal Reserve is going to use gold as the tool to make you think that there's no inflation, then I'm going to not be long that as a trading tool. And there are plenty of other markets like the crude oil markets, the grain markets, the soft commodities that are all rallying you know, ferociously, despite what the Fed does. So those are the places that I'm going to sort of stack my chips going forward, if that's fair. I'll move into the ag space and we'll move around and sort of avoid the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Here's a question that comes to us uh, from Malfestro. Uh, here it is. It's the most uh, controversial question going right now. How do you see Delta impacting the next three to six months? I'm ignoring the Delta variant 100% in its entirety. I think it's a complete figment of the media, and I think it's completely fake. And so I won't even acknowledge the fact that it's affecting markets. I think that it's really convenient for the mainstream media to latch on to a big down day in the S&P and say it's scared of the Delta variant because they like to create hysteria, but you won't see them coming back today and saying the market is rallying because of Fewer Delta variant cases, I guess. I, did the cases, did the Deltas become betas and that's why we're rallying or the Deltas become alphas 
and we're out. You know what I mean? Like none of the Delta variant arguments make sense. So I'm not even going to I'm not even going there. I think it's completely fake narrative. The market is what the, the market is doing, what the market is doing with or without what a Delta variant effect is going to have. That has no effect on the tape, in my opinion. Yeah. So let me say, I personally have been completely ignoring this news for the most part. I haven't worn a mask since I got vaccinated. I've been out leading my life, going to restaurants. I'm riding the subway without a mask, just going about life as normally I would and I should. Yesterday, I did some research. I found a page over at Yale University that had all these really disconcerting uh, scientific studies coming out of the UK, out of Scotland. What the heck is going on there? How are markets thinking about this? Uh, and is there a risk? One of the things that Raul has always talked about is you basically have the action that happens with the virus, and then you have the response, meaning people, uh, you know, what the way their behavior is impacted, their purchasing decisions, their travel decisions, their work decisions, all of that stuff. Uh, and you look at these statistics that look really sobering, saying that twice as many hospitalizations for unvaccinated people. I mean, what do you make of that? And how do you balance it off in your head? Ash, you know, the only thing I do is look at the markets and and I honestly, I ignore the fact that that's happening. I, I can't trade markets off of propaganda anymore, right? And and so I, if I refuse to do that, I can very simply do so by paying close attention to the tape and understand what's really moving and why, because I could easily make just as good a case that the market sold off yesterday because Santa Claus is coming to town in December. OK, and if you don't watch out for the Santa Claus effect, everybody's going to get blown out here. And that's what, to me, the mainstream media is doing with the Delta, the Delta variant and the, the virus. Now, the virus is behind us. The world is looking to move forward. And the financial markets really have. They've gone into an inflationary scenario. And, you know, they took the Federal Reserve and all the president's men to knock that back down a few pegs. So I think that the market is sort of showing its real stripes underneath the hood. And I think it's going to come back strong at some point. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, obviously, it's a very controversial topic. It's certainly not what we do here at Real Vision to take positions on it. Just trying to look at these issues and understand the impacts on markets. Tony, let me ask you this. If not Delta variant, what was it that impacted markets yesterday? Why did we see such a steep sell off and a flight to quality into fixed income? Any thoughts on that? We got a little bit of a freeze up here. OK, Tony's getting that situation resolved. We should have him back here in about one minute. Thank you for your patience, everyone. In the meantime, uh, we wanted to set up this clip for you. Uh, this is an interview uh, with Alfonso Pescatiello uh, interviewing Danielle Lacal on the main Real Vision platform. This is on the essential tier of the Real Vision platform. Uh, and it speaks to some of the points uh, that Tony has made uh, in the past and also here today, posing effectively this key question. Is inflation transitory or is it not transitory? Let's go to the clip. We'll be back in a few moments. Uh, we had inflation prints in the US um, and a surprise to the upside, even the most rosy consensus on Bloomberg out there. I think we had month on month print at 0.9%. It's a long time we have seen something like that, Daniel. So why don't we take, let's say, a little bit of a look at the transitory against not transitory camp 
and elaborate mm. a bit on that, maybe. I, I think that the most important thing about the concept of transitory inflation is what does that mean anyway? No, is what are they? What do they mean by transitory? Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it a decade? We don't know. Huh? What we know about inflation is that it's uh, is that what matters to to citizens is accumulative inflation, mm-hmm. and that if you look at cumulative inflation in the eurozone, if you look at cumulative cumulative sorry inflation in the United States, uh, it's showing a, a vast deterioration of the purchasing power of salaries and also of uh, savings. The other important thing to mention is is inflation should not be measured just by itself. It should be measured relative to what people earn on a yearly basis. So to think about a a massive economic disruption like COVID-19, it did not generate any reduction in inflation. Okay, we're back. And I think we're almost back with Tony Greer. Right now, I've got a shot of Mr. Greer's ceiling, uh, but I expect he will be back on camera in about 10 seconds and right on cue. There he is, Tony. Welcome back. Uh, All kinds of fun theories uh, in the comments on YouTube about who kicked you off or pulled you off the air for for some of your views, but it's good to have you back. Um, So I'm sorry, you were saying, Sorry about that, Ash. Um, So what we got was the OPEC plus meeting where the UAE sort of got their way and are able to um, basically get OPEC to raise output production. So if they're going to raise by 400,000 barrels or so every day, starting, I believe, in August, that's going to be some extra supply that comes onto the crude oil market that caught long a little bit off guard at a critical resistance level. So seeing that we ran into this critical resistance level with everybody limit long in WTI futures, mostly in the front month, we run into a situation where everybody winds up trying to exit at the same time. So we ran into that. The spreads got crushed back into support. WTI has a seven sigma sell off. Bonds are, you know, finally saying, see, we were right. There's no inflation with bond market yields at 1.15. And so the Federal Reserve gets their way again. So I think that that had a lot to do with the OPEC timing, um, you know, catching the market long. Obviously, people were long all of the oil ETFs under the sun with the way the oil ETF index spiked yesterday, uh, the oil ETF VIX, excuse me, spiked yesterday. So I think this is just a, uh, a situation of a lot of concentrated long that got blown out, and it didn't even do that much damage to the crude oil market. So it was really, really um Something that I think that we'll take in stride and keep going. Tony, you're such a pro. Coming back from adjusting the camera straight into WTI. Hey, listen, let me ask you this. For those who say there is no such thing as a seven sigma move, a seven sigma move, that means that something else is driving prices. That just doesn't happen in our lifetimes uh, in terms of probability. Well, it happened yesterday. (laughs) So tell me, what do you see this volatility continuing? As you look forward, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think, once again, Ash, I think that we're in a navigable situation. I think that there will be pockets of volatility that are going to equate to, you know, the banana skins that you slip on in any secular bull market when things get overextended. You know, when you're trading 5 or 10% above, you know, the 50-day moving average and 
sailing along with no obstructions, you have to understand at some point something unforeseen is going to take the, you know, take the heat off of that rally. And we just continue to run into one after another event that continues to get swallowed up by the S&P. So I'm going to continue to think that that's going to happen until it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, let me switch gears here just a little bit. This one comes to us from Johnny D. Uh, Johnny wants to know what your thoughts are on Bitcoin and crypto in general. Uh, are you still waiting for 20,000 before adding uh, or expect new lows? I should say uh, I am looking at the tape right here, uh, and it looks like we are now below 30,000 uh, on Bitcoin. Yeah, I do think that we've got another $10,000 slide coming. Um, Bitcoin has done everything that it should to continue its down move. Um, we consolidated between you know 30 and 38K for the last couple of weeks now. I think that we've lured, if anything, we've probably lured in more length, um, more hodlers putting more money to work. And unfortunately, we're not getting the bounce that they're hoping for. And I really think that you know with some of this Bitfinex and Tether story coming out little by little, um, I still think that we've got a pro blower in the Bitcoin complex. Like it just looks to me like cryptocurrency is not going down. Um, it was behaving great as an inflation hedge. And if we're not going to need as many inflation hedges, Bitcoin's got a big problem. Um, you know, so that's that's I kind of think the way I, that's what I'm thinking of Bitcoin. I think there's another slide coming below 30K. And maybe then we get into a value area where we can buy it for, you know, an inflation hedge again, which is the way that it was working in the first place. Um, until the laser eyes got a hold of it, everybody got too long at the highs, and now we have a back off situation. So everything is just a trade, Ash. You know, everything is just fits right into the bold, basic scenario of, you know, a day one trade mechanism where we learn about the security that's rallying. Everybody gets long, word gets out, everybody gets longer. And then there's a piece of great news where everybody's looking for the thing to continue. Right? They should be hitting bids. And so that's what we saw in crude oil. That's what we saw in the S&P. And that's what we continue to see. I mean, we've been talking about this for, you know, we've got to been going for several months now. And it's been the same blocking and tackling playbook that has paid dividends. So I'm going to stick with that until I get burnt. So you are basically very comfortable trading this regime. Uh, you see this as a continuation. Uh, Tony, as we get here to the final minutes, uh, as we run out of time, give us some of your final thoughts now that you have made this case that we're back in this regime. So, sort of tee it up for us again. Set us up with a big 50,000-foot picture uh, of how you see it and how you're going to be looking at things moving forward. All righty, man. That's a, that's a loaded question, but let's see if I can tee it up the right way. You know, we're, we're still – I like to go back to my, my basic trading tenets that have – been useful for me when I get gut checks like this. And the gut checks like 150 S&P point dip are something that we have to deal with, right? And I keep in mind, overall, through dips like yesterday and, and turmoil like we're seeing, that the Federal Reserve is in fact inflating assets to get us out of this economic debacle that, that we'll say the lockdowns caused, right? If you own assets, you're going to be okay. If the inflation trade got a little bit ahead of itself and started making the Federal Reserve look bad and look responsible for a lot of things that they don't want people shining a light on, income inequality, never-ending bull markets, you know, things like that, the Federal Reserve can act 
and make people, you know, make people very aware that they are still controlling markets in as much as they can. So I think that we ran into a situation where we had, you know, peak sentiment for the inflation trade. We saw that come out on the Barron's cover. And then we ran into a hawkish FOMC meeting and an OPEC output raise. Right. So there are two things that should very clearly set the inflation trade at least back on its heels. And I feel like that's what we've done. And I feel like now if, you know, if, if um, commodity tightness remains and we still see oil spreads remain backwardated, I think that you're going to see buying continue. And this I think you'll see the whole sort of risk complex get back on its feet. We may have a few more bouts of selling, you know, over headline inflation numbers. But I think broadly speaking, everything is so well intact. And it's shown you so many times before that the S&P has the you know, capacity to overcome these hurdles. That it's certainly this last one that we just, just went over. It feels like a speed bump to me. Yeah, that's totally. fair to say, actually. Absolutely. That's very well summarized. There's nobody in the business better at answering a loaded question than you. <laughs> It is always fun to have you back, even when things uh, go wrong. I would say especially when things go wrong, because it's sorry fun. That. We're here live without a net, and everyone <laughs> uh, in the audience gets to share in the fun with us. So it's always a pleasure. Today was especially fun. Great to have you back, and can't wait to do it again uh, soon. Thanks very much, Ash. It's great to get back on track. I look forward to getting back on a regular pace, right, and um, getting more interaction with our audience. And hopefully we'll continue to call the markets right. Yeah, well said. Thanks for joining us, Tony. Thanks for having us, Ash. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you for playing along, and thanks for your questions. See you soon. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.